Welcome to Short Course, episode 122, for January 20th, 2024. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I'm recording this, huh, used to record on Thursday nights, the last few episodes have been on Friday nights, this one I'm, I'm actually recording Saturday night, and once again I'll, I'll have it posted as soon as I'm done editing it tonight. Um, just realistically, a lot of the time and energy that used to be somewhat more freed up to, to record podcasts is definitely going towards being active, being prepared for the board meetings, responding to, to board emails and whatnot, you know, with uh, a day job and two kids, I basically have 9 p.m. to midnight as my, you know, time to to do my own stuff. And typically a recording a podcast could fit into that on a Thursday night, but hasn't happened recently. I think likely the, the podcast schedule going forward will be something like uh, an episode every two weeks, unfortunately. Uh, but who knows? I mean, the first board meeting of 2024 is two days from when I'm recording this. So it'll be Monday, January 22nd. And presumably the minutes for that will come out on uh, Friday. And I'll probably record an episode. I'd expect that I'll record an episode that night, just going over what happened in the meeting. And that'll, that'll, <laughs> if it's, if it's like the other meeting wrap up episodes I've done, that'll probably be 45 minutes easy. So probably be uh, another one a week after this one, but going forward, it might be a little more sparse. We'll see. All depends on on how much time and content I have to cover. But apologies for the slow pace of content. There's definitely a lot going on internally within the board. Hopefully some of that will start to be visible here soon. And as we'll talk about here, sorry, I can't say more than that for now. So what I wanted to talk about today is the notion of playing by the rules or following the rules. And this all started somewhat innocuously based on a post on Instagram that had mentioned the idea of Yimin making me the vice president. And I just commented to say, uh, actually, the, the bylaws say the vice president is elected by a majority vote of the board. So in the case of the meeting on Monday, we will have seven votes because we have two area directors vacant. There are eight area directors and the president. So there's typically nine votes. There'll be seven votes in play. And so someone will make a motion, it'll be seconded, and then that motion for a particular person to be vice president will have to get at least four out of seven votes to qualify as a majority. And so I just commented to basically say, hey, it's, you know, it's it's not one man's decision, it's a majority vote. And the guy commented back and said, oh yeah, okay, I, I appreciate the the update. And then I said, no worries, I've been I've been rereading the bylaws a lot myself. And then someone chimed in and said, why bother? They don't follow them anyway. And this is honestly, this is something that's that's come up a lot. And so I thought this was a good time to to address that. I mean, obviously, it's making a statement one place on the Internet. Not everybody reads that. But I thought it was a, it was a good place to at least put my my thinking out there. And for contrast, the guy who's making this comment, I know him. I've talked to him before. We've never met in person, but but I've seen him commenting around and, and he and I have exchanged messages in the past. And he's basically one of these guys saying, you know, everything's broken. We just need to get rid of the current organization and start a new IPSC affiliate in the U.S. and just start from scratch. And, you know, okay, fair enough. That's that's what he said. But as far as I know, he again, this is based purely on my knowledge. There's been no no action to follow through on that. Meanwhile, I've staked my own skin by running for the board, getting elected and now having the commitment to actually be a part of the solution, not just 
sit on the internet and, and, and make commentary. And so I wrote what I thought was a sort of straightforward response. And I said, I've made my choice to play by the rules within the system. You've made your views known that you'd rather go another route. I wish you luck with that, but that's not the route I'm taking. Now, what I was thinking when I wrote this was talking about this idea of trying to reform the existing organization of USPSA versus advocating for basically throwing it out and starting fresh with a new IPSC affiliate in, in the US. And I have no ill will towards anybody that is that is going that route or people who are trying to go sort of outside the, the IPSC system with PCSL or this American practical shooting, these these various other leagues that are trying to promulgate a rule set and gain support and, and get match directors on board. I don't personally see those those sports getting a ton of traction. And when you look at something like IDPA, which formed in 1995, 1996 as a schism of USPSA, I think the reason that split, the reason that organization was able to sort of achieve escape velocity and become self-sustaining is they they were able to bring together enough people that they had a critical mass, both of trainers and MDs and, and people who wanted the sport and were actually willing to run the matches to have it. And they all kind of got together, formed the sport, and then and then it, it started all at once. It wasn't this sort of, you know, someone switching here and there. And obviously it started with a core group of clubs and, and grew. But but I think what we haven't really seen in USPSA is that kind of single bit of unity that will really coalesce around a, a single alternate rule set. Maybe it'll happen. But to me, that would be the way if you actually wanted to go this route of starting a new sport, you would want to learn the lessons from IDPA, which take it or leave it, was successful in sort of taking a significant subset of of the IPSC, USPSA crowd at the time who were looking for something more defensive, more tactical, peeled them off, made a made an organization that was self-sustaining and you know, now they have a whole parallel sport. I don't really see anything like that happening in USPSA, at least not yet. And not when I was making the decision to run for the board. And so the point that I was trying to make is now that I'm on the board, my position is I am inside the system. I can work from within the system to affect change. I don't begrudge anybody that wants to take PCSL and adapt it or take any of these other rule sets or make their own rule set. I, I think all of this competition is actually better for everyone because if people are coming up with ideas then that that outcompete USPSA, then USPSA actually needs to evolve and keep up. And that competitive pressure actually is what can can cause you to have to make hard choices to actually stay relevant. I mean, most of us have been in the position in our professional lives of having been at a company where things were kind of coasting along until something happened in the industry, whether it's an economic downturn or some competitor launches a new product. And all of a sudden the pressure is on and you have to make make hard choices to, to stay competitive. And so I actually, you know, as someone working to make things better from the inside, the stronger the external forces trying to outcompete USPSAR, the better for me because it's it makes the case stronger for significant change because just coasting along is not going to work. Was it ever a good strategy? No. But the more the more sort of external threat there is to the sport, the more the need for change from the inside becomes it makes it so I can make that make the case for that change. All of that said, it seems like the the, the first part of that post that I made was taken in a different way. 
where I said, I've made my choice to play by the rules within the system. And all that means is I'm going to, I'm going to follow the bylaws. I'm going to follow the rules because in my mind, if you start cheating, if you start breaking the rules to win, well, then you're no better than the people who broke the rules or ignored the bylaws. You've lost the moral high ground. And then at that point, what are you even fighting for? If you're playing a game and the other side is cheating and then you cheat and then you end up winning the game, well, what was the point? You didn't actually prove that you're better at the game. You just proved that you're better at cheating. And I don't, I don't have any interest in being good at cheating. But I think what people took that statement to mean is that I'm going to play ball. I'm going to work out deals. I'm going to cut quid pro quos. I'm going to fall in line. I'm going to just be a part of the system. No, no, no. That's not what I mean at all. I'm still trying to affect change and I'm playing to win, but I'm playing to win within the rules. This means not necessarily USPSA rules, but things like Robert's rules of order, which govern how the meetings are run, the bylaws, which govern how actions are actually taken, who has what authority, when certain actions can be taken. And then obviously Delaware law, which governs what is legal for us to do and what is legal for us to even have in our bylaws in the first place. So an example of this, of actually playing the game within the rules is I was trying to think, well, if they don't reinstate Scott, how can we get him back? How can we give the people an option to say, you guys kicked Scott out, but we still want him? Or if not Scott, anyone else that is potentially removed for some reason. I mean, we, we see this with Yi Min, who, whether you are his biggest fan or not, he was elected once, he was removed from office, and he was elected again. And so in my mind, he is the president. If we just ignore the outcome of elections, well, then there's no point in, in having elections. So Yemen won the election. He is the president, whether you like it or not. And so I looked at the bylaws and I thought, like I said, how do we, how do we make it so even if they've removed Scott, he can still come back? Or me, if they decide to 7-7 seven, seven me, how can, how can the, the members still have a choice? And so what I submitted with 10 days before the meeting to go, which will become relevant in a second, is a, a motion that says, whereas popular elected candidates have not only been removed from office, but also barred from running again, depriving their area or region of the right of free choice of their candidates, therefore be it resolved that bylaws 6.1.9 and 6.1.10 are hereby removed from the organization's bylaws, and bylaws 6.2.8 and 6.2.9 are hereby removed from the organization's bylaws. This motion is effective immediate upon approval. So those are the bylaws from the chapter about the president and the area director that say that a after either a president or an area director is removed under 7-7, they can never be elected to office again within USPSA. And the the, the second bylaw under under each of those is saying that if a if a member has been the subject of a suspension under Article 413 of the bylaws, which is the process of suspending someone and then potentially removing their membership for a period of time or terminating them and having them be reinstated. So for example, you have someone like Joe Rakowski who got a one-year suspension. He is ineligible to run for office for five years after the end of that one-year suspension. That's what 413 says. And I personally, I don't think those bylaws have any place in the rules. If someone wants to run for office and the people want to vote for them, I don't really see a reason that the bylaws should forbid them from running or, or forbid them from being elected. And this is, you know, another discussion, but even, even things like 
having to be a life member. Well, okay, if the concern is that someone's membership is going to run out while they're in office, then when someone's elected to an office, just give them a five-year, <laughs> give them a five-year membership, so there, there's no risk. The you know all of these all of these qualifications, all of these barriers to entry to being an area director, to me are they're best evaluated during the campaign. Someone should be able to run, and if the membership thinks they're qualified, thinks they're the best option, then the membership should should be able to to express that choice. All of these all these restrictions on candidates just is a way of the board limiting the member's power. And I don't really see any any reason for that. I believe that in principle. I think it also, the, the timing in this particular case would work out well in the sense that if this bylaw revision were to pass in January, there would actually still be time for before the before the February meeting, there would be time that Scott Arnberg, if he chose to, could actually file to run for the the remainder of his Area 3 term. So this was something that was actually important to get to in January. Now, we'll see if we get to it. It's going to be a very long meeting. There's going to be a lot of things on the agenda. So I'm not optimistic that it, that we'll actually get to a vote. And even if we get to a vote, I'm not optimistic that it'll pass. But I thought it was important to at least try. And the thing that allowed this, so if, you, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, what's the process for getting a bylaw change on the books? I would have said, well, you have to mention it at one board meeting so that it can be put on the agenda for the next one. I thought there had to be this gap of it's announced at one meeting and then put on, on the agenda. It can be voted on at the next one. But looking at the bylaws, they say there is another option, which is you can include the full text of the proposed bylaws change with the agenda when it's published 10 or more days before the meeting. And so I reached out to Yemen and strongly expressed the fact that I very much wanted this motion with the text of it to be included in the agenda so that we, under the bylaws, would be allowed to vote on it in January, even though it was not mentioned at the previous board meeting, which obviously it couldn't have been because I wasn't on the board in December. So this was one of those cases where looking at at what is actually in the bylaws, what is within the rules, playing within those rules, I was able to get this bylaws change on the agenda. Now, again, I am very realistic about the odds of this actually happening, but I think at the very least, the members deserve to know where the people currently on the board stand on this idea of whether they should be allowed to pick their own candidates or whether the board should be allowed to sort of pre-filter them for the members. But this is the kind of thing where by studying the rules and figuring out affordances, the things that the bylaws do allow by their actual text without interpreting them in, in dubious ways, that's how I'm playing the game. Because again, if you have to break the rules or cheat to win, you haven't gained anything. You've just shown that you can be just as bad as a cheater at their own game. Now, unfortunately, this this cuts both ways. So there was this whole discussion at the end of December. At the December board meeting, the board voted, which again, this the vote is basically empty, but the board voted to waive 10.2 and live stream all future board meetings. Now, this was basically like Congress passing a, a non-binding resolution. It was just a statement of intent. But the bylaw in question, 10.2, says that you can't discuss or disclose the contents of the, the board meeting until the minutes are posted, which the meetings happen on a Monday, the minutes are posted Friday afternoon. So there's that four-day lag. And the idea was, well, 10.2 allows 
a three-quarters majority of the board to waive it. And so we'll just vote to waive it at the beginning of the meeting, and then we can live stream the meeting as it's happening. I'm on board with this. I think live streaming the meetings is a good idea. I think it's interesting. Like I've said before, I think having a, a recording, a complete recording is more important, but I, I think live streaming is a good step in that direction as well, in addition to having the, the recording available. But the agenda, as it was posted, so the, the way the board meetings work, the agenda has to be posted 10 days before the meeting. The item about this on the agenda that was posted includes reference to both bylaw 10.2 and bylaw 5.9. And 5.9 is a one sentence section. It just says all board of directors meetings shall be closed to individuals and organizations other than those authorized by the board of director policy. Now, this is what I've referred to before about the guest policy and the fact that as soon as I had won the area six election, I was asking to be included in board meetings. And I was, I was referred to a policy about in-person board meetings. And if you want to go to the in-person board meeting, you have to submit the topic a certain number of days in advance. And basically that was, that was just a big, a big wave off. That's an, that's an unrelated policy. As far as I can tell, the board of director policy mentioned in bylaw 5.9 does not exist. It has not been written down. And so I guess the informal policy is basically whoever the board wants to invite is invited and everybody else is, is not, I, that that's the best summary, given that there's there's no written policy. But when the agenda was posted, it included a reference to waiving 10.2 and 5.9. Now, buckle up, because this is going to get really, really rules nerdy, but looking at Robert's rules, section 25, colon 7, it says rules that cannot be suspended. Rules contained in the bylaws or constitution cannot be suspended, no matter how large the vote in favor of doing so or how inconvenient the rule in question may be, unless the particular rule specifically provides for its own suspension. So 10.2 provides for its own suspension. It says this rule, this confidentiality can be waived by a three-quarters vote of the board. Great. But 5.9 doesn't. And so if we were to go into a meeting and waive a bylaw that we cannot waive, well, then we'd be setting a precedent that we can waive any bylaw we want, which is not, that's not a precedent I want to set. Do I want live streaming to happen? Yes. Do I want it to happen at the cost of breaking the rules and setting a precedent that we can waive bylaws that we can't? Absolutely not. Because that will, one way or another, come back to bite us. If we waive 5.9 when we shouldn't have, then that's the, that's the, that's the top of the slippery slope. There's going to be some other bylaw that ends up getting waived. And we say, well, you know, we did it for, we did it for live streaming. So, you know, this is more important than live streaming, right? You got to draw the line somewhere. And that's because I want to have the credibility that when I say we're doing something that's against the rules, it's because I've never gone along with something that's, that is against the rules. I have that credibility. And so I can, I can hold that line. Now, do I think we need to actually have that board of director policy? Do we need to have a clear guest policy. If we're not going to live stream, do we need to have the ability for people to join as observers and, and be a part of the meetings if they want to be? Absolutely. We should 100% revise the bylaws. And Frank even brought this up at the, at the December board meeting. He basically said, Hey guys, this vote doesn't really mean anything. I mean, he voted yes. Cause it, you know, it's, he's, he wanted to show support for the general initiative, but he pointed out that this this was a non-binding vote, but that if we were serious about this, we would need to revise the bylaws. And 
that's that's still true. And we could have put something on the agenda. Again, there are two ways to get something to get a bylaws revision on the agenda. One is to announce it at the meeting prior. The other is to submit the full text of the of the the, the bylaws change to be made with the agenda submitted 10 days ahead so that everybody has has warning. So if we were serious about about revising the the bylaws to allow this, we we could and we should. But as it is right now, Robert's rules is clear, the bylaws are clear, 5.9 does not allow for its own suspension. And so if if 5.9 is in play, if it is deemed to be relevant, then we can't waive it. Now if we agree that 5.9 doesn't apply and that the the policy allows live streaming because it's unwritten and we decide what's in it, then then that's the other route to go. But that's this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. This is this is playing within the system. And this is what I'm doing. I'm not making deals. I'm not just trying to be liked. I'm not here to to be nice and make friends. I would like to be on friendly terms with everybody on the board. I'm not going out of my way to make enemies either. But I do want to be in a position where I have that that moral high ground and I can say we need to follow the rules because I'm not the one encouraging us to break them. And and this goes all the way down. I mean, like I mentioned, the, the rules in question here, we're talking about Robert's rules, we're talking about the actual bylaws of the corporation, we're talking about Delaware corporate law. The the way, I mean, ultimately, the way if some of these things are not fixed and go completely unchecked, the way traditionally that you would solve them is it is directors as well as shareholders, aka members, shareholders or directors can can file a lawsuit in Delaware. And then at that point, you're playing by Delaware laws, which are interpreting your bylaws and seeing how things are done by Robert's rules. So even, even that, which a lot of people are talking about is, you know, the nuclear option of actually filing some kind of either shareholder or director lawsuit as you know, directors unquestionably have, have standing if, you know, something like Scott being removed from the board turns out to be against the, the bylaws or against Delaware corporate law. Even there, you're, you're playing by the rules. Is it harder to win by, by playing by the rules? Absolutely. But if you do manage to do it, then, then the win actually ends up meaning something. Whereas if you just out cheat a cheater, you haven't really proven anything. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is ben at Talk to you next time.